Welcome to Nolf247.com On the Bench Podcast. I'm Chris Nee. I'm joined by Zach and Dane, the two young guys bringing down the average age of this website every day. We're here to talk a little bit FSU Syracuse. FSU wraps up ACC schedule with an impressive win in the Dome up there in Syracuse, New York, 38-3. We're also going to talk some recruit reaction from that game. Going to have a little intel on Lucas Simmons after the two hardest young working guys in the business got up with the young man. We're going to look ahead to FSU wrapping up their regular season schedule. We're going to dream a little bit about what ball we want to see FSU in. And finally, we're going to talk a bit more recruiting because we're only a month away from the early signing period. Yes, Christmas is coming fast. Get, so, get those presents. So to start it off, FSU went up Syracuse, 138-3, one in convincing fashion in every which way. I was up there, Brendan Sinone, who's not joining us today because he's taking a bit of a personal day. He was also up there with me enjoying it. Uh, it was impressive in every which way. FSU really dominated the action from start to end. All three phases kind of brought it, played well. I know Fitzgerald missed a kick, but he missed it by inches. And I also think he got hit on that kick, potential of a penalty there. I thought he did a great job of handling the kick to end the first half where uh, Zane Herring jumped a couple times and then a timeout to ice him. I thought he did a great job with that. I was very impressed by that. For a kid who had so many struggles earlier in the season, it was good to see. Offensively, about as efficient as it comes. Jordan Travis hitting at a high rate, catching one, running one, throwing three, scoring five total. Can't ask for much more. Trey Benson was fun as hell to watch. He is the best running back on this football team. That's no slight to the other dudes in that room who are producing, but Trey Benson is the most enjoyable guy in that room to watch by a mile. He loves trucking people. He punishes them, and he's gotten better with every single carry he's taken this season. Offensive line, I thought, had a great day, especially the two guards. I thought Dylan Givens and Meech, Dimitri Emanuel. I thought they both played very, very good football in that game. Defensively, FSU created more chaos had more of an impact on their opponent than I can recall them having in any game this season. I think some of that's them being very healthy. I think other parts of that is just guys who had to kind of be thrown in the fire here earlier this year playing a lot. They really stepped up and come on. Shaheen Brown, who got his first career start in that game, I thought played very well. Greedy Vance, I believe he did give up the longest reception of the game, the 29-yarder to Ronda Gatson. That's nothing to uh, cry over. Gatson's a talented cat. But he, he redeemed himself. He goes and gets a pick, third of the season, leading the team, second in as many games. Very, very good to see. And I thought the linebackers were on full display. I, I didn't have time because of travel yesterday to go back, but I wanted to go back and watch the Syracuse game, or at least parts of it from last year, when FSU really struggled with Schrader. And Schrader was not near as healthy this year as he was last year when the two teams played. But to watch that and watch how the linebackers struggled in that game and what Schrader was successful at versus this game I watched on Saturday evening, I thought the linebackers played their backsides off. Bethune was good. Uh, Kalen Deloach had a kind of, to me, a play that defines how far that room's come. He gets in there. He makes contact. He doesn't end the play. It's a third down. Syracuse working towards the end zone. He continues to pursue, forces Schrader out. I think he gained about four yards on the play, kept him short in first down. I just thought that was sort of like, yeah, that's how far that room has come kind of play. So I'm going to shut up now and quit talking. I'm going to let uh, Dane and Zach, who both watched the game via the television, share their thoughts on what they saw. So we'll start with Zach, let him get engaged here and get going. Go ahead, Zachary. Yeah. So just for me, I thought, you know, FSU obviously handled the Syracuse, like the whole game. Um, it wasn't really close. Uh, the offense was clicking out the jump and they never really you know, stopped. Um, just an impressive game coming off of a, an emotional rivalry win against Miami. Obviously it was a blowout, but, like Mike Norvell said in his press conference, everyone was kind of expecting FSU to go out there and kind of lay an egg a little bit. Um, you know, after that emotional rivalry win, uh, you don't expect the team to come out and just, you know, blow another team out. And Syracuse is, you know, not a great team, but they won their first six games of the season and had a really close game with Clemson, especially, you know, in that first half. Um, they've obviously lost three straight and now, you know, four after this game. But, you know, Hughes is not one of the worst teams in, in the conference. They're, they're in the upper echelon. Um, and, and FSU went and handled business, you know, in the dome. Just super impressive. It just goes to show how far this, this uh, you know, Mike Norvell's culture has come to where players are just so, it, it's like a business. Like they, they, they treat, you know, this, uh, you know, preparation, practice, everything like, you know, professionals. And I think that's super impressive. Um, and it, and it kind of goes to show what, what Norvell's done, um, to establish a, a winning culture here 
and we've seen it grow even within this season itself. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Zach. They do handle themselves very well, and they do that in every which way. They practiced well. They were focused. You know, they come off a huge victory at Miami where they just dominate the hell out of their rivals. You expect sometimes a letdown or a hangover. They didn't have any of those effects. They came out and got business accomplished, and they did it from the jump. And I thought that was really impressive. I thought the other thing that impressed me again, and I don't know how much it showed up on TV, the sideline culture is just phenomenal for this program. Now, the way guys celebrate, greedy bands celebrate special teams players. Uh, Fabian Lovett celebrates on the younger guys on defense when they're out there and he's not having to be out there. It's just, it, it runs throughout the whole roster. And it's such a night and day situation for them from a few years ago. And I think it's why they've in-season grown so drastically. And it's just impressive. What were your thoughts, Dane? I don't think there's a whole lot more to add to that, but just to your point right there, I mean, you can see that evidently on the field, just they're bullies like throughout the game, you know, that never really stops. And I think that goes to show with what you're saying. I think you're the master of efficiency with what you got through there, Chris, in the beginning. Zach, you had really good points. I don't have too much to add. Um, I I have a question for you. Um, So, you know, you obviously broke down kind of what Syracuse has personnel wise before the game on the beyond the bench podcast. Um, what do you think of FSU's job of like shutting some of those guys down? Like obviously Schrader, Sean Tucker, and um, their top receiving target around a Gadsden. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that I think the defensive performance is the most like noteworthy thing of the game. I did say on the uh, no thy enemy that I, I thought their offense was pretty bad to be honest, but um, yeah, predicted it, <laughs> but but, I mean, they took care of business more so than I thought. They they allowed three points, and they never really, until absolute garbage time to the last play of the game, they never really, uh, I don't think Syracuse ever even entered the red zone, to my knowledge, just thinking back. But, um, yeah, I mean, just a totally dominant defensive performance. Garrett Trader did play. I thought me saying their offense was pretty bad had a decent bit to do with the possibility of Trader not playing or him playing physically hindered and I don't think he was you know he wasn't hobbling around out there at least he definitely wasn't 100% I didn't think he looked 100% but it's close enough to where they should have a, a better output than that and they, they yeah. didn't do anything Schrader didn't look like the guy he looked like last year in Tallahassee from a movement standpoint but I FSU just is a much better team defensively than they were a year ago and I think that's a big reason I thought the most impressive moment for the defense was after the the quick change turnover, they go out there and get three straight negative plays. Uh, I'm trying to check on it. I don't know that FSU's had three straight negative plays in a series this year. Um, they've had plays where they've had negative plays and stoppages, but I don't know that they've had three consecutive negative plays in a row. And it just, I, to me, that's sort of like that's dictating terms, and that's where FSU had ne- needed to go from the middle of this season to where they are now. And I do know the opponents that they've played in recent weeks are a little bit lesser, but they're not just winning. They're they're dominating, and that's an extremely good sign for where they're going as a program, what they're going to try to accomplish here wrapping up the regular season, and what's next for them. Uh, last question on Syracuse game, what player on each side of the ball most impressed you and why? Go ahead and start, Dane. Um, maybe Pat Payton. I think just it's he's kind of an easy answer, I guess. But just really continuing to flourish and to whatever role they give him, and he's seeing more playing time. I think, and he's really taking on a bigger role. And I think you can you can see his ceiling more and more every every week, and that's really cool. Um, on the other side of the ball, this is where Brendan edits out a little bit of the cut, right? Nope. I guess Trey Benson. Trey Benson's so dominant. He's just, like you said in the beginning, he's he's just really fun to watch, and he has gotten better and better as the season's gone on. It's like in the beginning of the season, you thought he probably didn't run as hard as he should behind the, the power and weight he has, and I think he's really come into that. Like It's kind of exciting to see him get into open field because you know he probably is going to put a dude on his back, and I don't know if that was the case before. So, yeah. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I'm going through kind of, um, you know, I, you know, on offense, I'm going to say Jordan Travis, um, five touchdowns accounted for, including a receiving touchdown, which was just awesome to watch. I know Brendan was hyped up seeing his boy YY throw that one. Um, but just overall, he's just been so efficient, man. I think he he had two incompletions on the day, um, ran the offense to near perfection. 
they just, for, especially those first couple drives, it looked way too easy for them. Um, and he was at the helm of that. So I got to give him credit um, on defense. You know, obviously I really liked what, uh, you know, our guy Pat Payton did. I thought Jared Verse had a great game. Um, you know, some of the other guys, I'm trying to think of like who stood out the most. You know, Shaheen Brown played a lot of snaps. I thought he played pretty well. Um, I'll give it to Greedy. You know what? Um, I think, you know, obviously Florida State this offseason, they lost their starting cornerback Jarvis Brownlee Jr. to Louisville, but they also got Greedy Vance from Louisville um, and kind of a nickel for them. Um, and I think they won that that exchange. Um, I, I think Greedy has been better than we thought he was going to be. Um, I thought, you know, he would kind of be a little bit of a liability in coverage. And yes, he's not been perfect, but he's been a guy that's, you know, capitalized on the ability to create turnovers, which, you know, we've seen other guys on this roster, you know, drop picks. Greedy's making great plays. And that that pick was not an easy pick. You know, he's had, had some others this season that were, you know, he had to go up and get that one and, and you know, toe tap and bounce. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to Greedy. I think he's been better than expected for us, at least this season. Yeah, I agree you, with you on Greedy. He, he's a guy that uh, he's continually improved this year. Another good example of development within the program. He's definitely got more comfortable. If you think about it, he was really close to having a fourth pick in the Wake Forest game. And it might have been a game changer if he had come down yeah. with it. So, yeah, Greedy's been good. My guy on defense, Akeem Dent, I thought he had a great bounce back game. Akeem's had not bad games, but he's had some rough moments. I think Clemson was the, a game where he did probably struggle the most. I thought he was really good on Saturday. He was on the ball consistently, made plays, finished plays immediately. Uh, just I thought he played really, really sound good football, and that was on a defensive unit that I thought a whole lot of guys played well. Offensively, I mentioned the two offensive guards earlier. I think they were a big reason FSU's offense had so much push, played such a good game. But it to me, it kind of has to be Jordan Travis. He just you score five touchdowns in a game. You control the offense entirely. You dominate for three quarters of action. Yeah, you get the nod. I thought it was funny. Irish FL war chant dropped a uh, what does the offense have to do to, you know, break the rock. And Adam Fuller got to break the rock for the defense for a performance that his unit had. I thought it was pretty funny that, uh, you know, that was brought up that Jordan has five touchdowns and he can't break the rock. Me and Sinone had a moment after the game where we realized, like, we're talking about storylines of this game. And Jordan, Tra- Jordan Travis being super efficient, running the offense at a high level, scoring five touchdowns, it's like the fourth or fifth storyline. Uh, we almost take it for granted how good he's gotten. Hey, look, somebody dropped in, decided to work on his day off. So I'm going to let our boy Brendan Sinone in here. And I'll throw Perfect this question timing. to him, let him get yeah. started. So, Brendan, I just asked the guys, best offensive and best defensive player against Syracuse, who are your two? Wow. Crazy analysis from Brendan. Wow. <laughs> Great job, Brendan. There he is. A good mug shot. You're going to enjoy editing this later. Can you hear us now? This looks really funny from our end. I wish people could see this. I just took a screenshot. <laughs> He's just now, waving Now I know how Snow felt when I lived in my old house and my internet stunk. I bet I know what his answer would be on offense. I mean, the desk moved when that play happened. <laughs> he's saying, "All right, he's I'm going to kick Sinone out of here because he's been absolutely worthless." Enjoy editing this, Sinone. Good job, buddy. Really took it off the reels. I was running a professional operation here. All right, so back to the show that we were doing so efficiently before he showed up. So disappointed in Sinone. He really took us off the tracks. You gave him a layer of, yeah, I, I started the alley oop there too. That was pretty I easy. know. I tried to let our man in and have a moment. All right. So I think we've probably talked enough about Syracuse. FSU went and did what they were supposed to do, and they did even better than I think most of us ex- expect. Our, our score prediction certainly lend themselves to us thinking FSU may have a bit of a hangover or letdown. That did not happen. Good to see. So next up, recruit reaction. You guys worked hard after the game immediately to get up with guys. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to shut up entirely. And at the end of that, I want you guys to talk about Lucas Simmons because he was a guy that was at UF creating a lot of concern that he was visiting there, even though he was visiting with coaches and teammates. I want you to share a little bit on that. So however you guys want to go about doing this, you two take the flag and you run with it. Yeah, so I'll I'll start off. Um, We reached out to recruits right after the game. Um, just kind of getting their thoughts. Uh, a few guys I want to note. Um, and obviously, Lucas Simmons was a guy that responded to me 
um, on the recruit reaction, but I also did an, uh, an in-depth story, which we'll get into, like Chris said in a minute. Um, but Lucas said the Knowles did their thing again. He sent me a, a graphic. Uh, I think it was displayed on the uh, the broadcast, kind of showing that FSU is the best in the ACC at certain uh, like O-line related stats. Because I asked him, you know, what did you think about the O-line play? And he said, this pretty much sums it up. They have been doing really great. Um, talked to a few other guys, Juco defensive lineman Derek Connor, uh, former FSU commit at a high school. He said it was a dominating performance. Um, four-star defensive back Damari Brown, huge FSU target, said they're they're rolling. I'm loving what I'm seeing. Um, everyone's favorite on Knowles 24-7, CJ Hurd. Uh, he was kind of mocking FSU fans by saying, fire Adam Fuller. Um, but then he said, lol, nah, we played FSU football. Uh, Keldrick Falk, who's actually at Auburn over the weekend, um, said that's the Miami game all over. They play like FSU is supposed to. The past couple of games is giving the next class of recruits and commits an example of what winning at Florida State is supposed to look like. Um, there's a there's a few other guys that that responded, some commits, some targets. You can go over there. Um, the Recruit React stories on those 24-7 right now. You can check that out. What's yeah, up, Zach? Oh, Brennan's here. Can you well, well, well. Wow. You, you missed your window of opportunity, sir. Did you guys talk about Wyatt Rector already? Well, oh. we tried to bring you in to talk about best offensive and defensive player from the Syracuse game, but since your technology is working like Chris needs at his old house, you know, that that's where we were at. He's playing the piano. Oh, you can hear it? It's very classy in this airport. And they're getting into All the right. Christmas spirit. Hey, so you get what? to edit this later, so maybe you can splice and move this back <laughs> and, you know, have fun with it, whatever. So I think we just here's keep the it question. Best offensive and defensive player in the Syracuse game and why? So best defensive player to me. Oh, man, they're all so – the defense is a weird performance, right, because there were so many guys who were solid and they didn't have to play a ton of snaps either. Uh, Mike Norvell praised Akeem Dent after the game, and I think – worthwhile like to talk about him and what he did like tackling in the open field bernardo green was really good i'll go with jared verse he got a, a pretty critical sack and made his presence felt as a pass rusher through game also talking some trash so i'll go with jared verse as a safe bet best offensive player i mean we do have to talk about the wyatt rector touchdown pass right right come on come on the only reason we brought you on as it was happening they call a timeout and they go to the <laughs> sideline and I, I started elbowing Chris. I'm like, why? It's like he's he's warming up his arm. I can see it. Chris Thompson was talking to him. And we've seen this play in practice maybe three weeks ago or so, assuming that that's what was coming. And that's indeed what, what happened. So that was the best moment of the game. Uh, but best performance, I, I think we have to go with Trey Benson. Like he's just running at such a profoundly like physical and decisive level. He keeps getting better. Uh, hat tip, though, to, to Jordan Travis for only missing two passes in the game throwing for three touchdowns for the third straight week in a row. And that, that's like the third or fourth like thing we talk about from the game. Like that's not even the headline anymore is Jordan Travis was just remarkably efficient. And that's where he's at. Just like Chris. Is that what Chris said already? Okay, cool. I'm glad I've, I've added a lot to this podcast. How was it going before I joined guys? It was going smooth. Uh, fantastic. It was rolling. It's might, might be the best ever actually. Chris is actually the best host. <laughs> I hate hearing all of this. It makes me really insecure. Safe Go ahead and talk about Wyatt Rector for a minute. You know you want to. Just let it let it flow, buddy. Go. I mean, if you're just trying to personify a football program, if that's what you want to look like. When you talk about climb, it's Wyatt Rector. I mean, this is a guy who came to Florida State as a walk-on quarterback, moved to tight end selflessly for the betterment of the team. He could have been Tim Tebow, right? But they're like, no, we need you at tight end. And then he gets this scholarship, right? Well-deserved, long overdue. He gets his scholarship. And they're like, well, maybe not as much at tight end, but special teams ace, yes. Like, you're just going to be the guy who sets the tone on kickoff return, which is or kickoff coverage, which is probably FSU's best unit of any group this season. That's with having a top 10 offense and top 10 defense, fellas. And Wyatt Rector is the tone setter of that top unit uh, because he runs downfield, like, at 100 miles per hour at, like, 240 pounds. He's like an Adonis running down downhill, and it, it's amazing. And then you're just like, hey, sometimes, you know what? We're going to have you throw the football, too, and he can do it. He didn't have stupid gloves on, I think, to ruin it this time. His gloves weren't wet and slippery like they were, uh, I think it was the second week of the season. No, no. White Rector was ready for his moment, and it was a thing of beauty, and that is climb. That is Mike Norvell's program personified. Boy, do you need a cigarette now? What was it like? What was that like when that happened, Chris, in the press box? Uh, you're pretty giddy. It was pretty funny. 
I mean, we all have our moments. I love a good fullback cramming it in there and scoring a touchdown. You're you're more of a finesse kind of guy, though. I am. I like, but there's a little a little combination of both. I mean, you get a you get your your blue collar guy doing a little finesse stuff, and that's that's what life's all about. It's just mixing it up and balance, fellas. So think of beauty. Do you want me to go now? Am I ruining this? Yeah, you probably should, but we'll send it to you so you get to edit everything. Have fun with that. I'm going to be at the airport for like five hours today, so I'll have time. Well, have fun with that. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, so Sinone's joined us. We had fun with that. We've talked a little recruit reaction. I don't know how all these things are going to fall in order after the edit, so we're just here. But now we're going to talk some Lucas Simmons. It came out, I don't remember, I think it was Friday. I think it was flying when the entire internet lost its mind for a minute from an FSU standpoint. Lucas Simmons visited Florida. He visited along with coaches and a few teammates. Florida is certainly an active party with him, always has been, was major in his recruiting the first time around. People were concerned. Lucas Simmons comes out a visit. He talks with our Zach, Zachary, young Zachary. And Zach, what did he share with you? Yeah, so I caught up with him, um, you know, later that night on Saturday. He, uh, you know, he he obviously, like you said, was at UF. That was the first time he was there since officially visiting UF in June. That was one of the four um, that he took during that month. Um, you know, sounds like he had a good time in Gainesville. But this is his quote that he, you know, when I, you know, first asked, you know, just about what the UF visit meant regarding his commitment says he said, I'm still solid to Florida State. I had a great time at Florida, saw the game, and it was a fun atmosphere and all. But Florida State is where my heart is at. Um, he went on to say, Florida State has been consistent with it since they offered me back in Sweden. They've never shied away from that. So it's a given that Florida State is it for me. That's where my heart is. Um, sounds like that relationship with Coach Alex Atkins, his main recruiter, as well as head coach Mike Norvell has just continued to um, you know, increase throughout, you know, since his commitment over the summer. Um, he, he said uh, that the commitment or the relationship is steadily growing. How they prioritize relationships did not fall off after I committed. It wasn't that they prioritize relationships just to be able to say, my name is Lucas Simmons and I'm committed to Florida State. It was more than that. They really care and I genuinely care about them as well. Um, he's been super impressed with FSU's offense this season. I asked him specifically about that. He said they're so well balanced. It's insane. I saw a stat that they had like five games with 200 yards rushing and then they have an elite quarterback as well. I just think that because of how Norvell and the staff prioritized the culture his few, first few years there, now you can finally see the growth of that and what has come out from that. The talented players will never never be an issue. It was just that they had to get the culture going first, and I just think that they're going to keep rolling. So obviously, really positive quotes there from Lucas. Um, Dane, you you know you talk with Lucas a lot. What do you what are your kind of your impressions of this situation? And do you think FSU kind of sits in a good spot to, you know, obviously we still got a month to go until signing day, but where do you think FSU kind of stands right here to try and retain him? Yeah, man. I honestly, like when we started hearing things that it could be, he could be, you know, training to Florida and whatnot. Like that was really kind of hard to believe for me because he has been like so solid and uh, so consistent, and he's just—he seems so impressed every time he talks about like Coach Atkins and Florida State, Coach Marvell. He's—he really like you'll speak to him, and and you, you can like see him. I don't know how to articulate. I don't know. He's just really impressed by by this program, and it would be a surprise for me if he went elsewhere. Um, and it's it's good to hear that after a Florida visit he's still solid I think that's really impressive I mean I think you get him back on campus in Florida State and that really wraps it up if it's not already so Dane were you yeah. trying to say he's emotionally invested I guess so yeah I think he just I think he just really has a strong feeling for the program like he really genuinely loves it and he loves coach Atkins yeah it's really, really evident when you're talking to him I asked Go him about like upcoming visit uh, plans. He said he does not plan to visit any other schools. He said, I think it's just going to be FSU. He said, yeah, I think it's just going to be FSU moving forward. He'll be back on campus in two weekends for the UF game on that Friday night. Um, that'll be an interesting one, obviously, because FSU is obviously hosting UF. Um, Got to play well there. And that'll, you know, obviously help with other recruitments down the line as well. But, um, but yeah, I, for right now, I, I feel like I'm not worrying too much about Lucas Simmons. Obviously, follow the visits down the line. Um, we only got a month till signing day, so or just about a month till signing day. So just, um, I think you know, make sure that you're that you know, for, if you're FSU, you don't want him to go and you know visit some of these other schools. 
try to get him back on campus, uh, obviously for the UF game, and then maybe sometime in December as well. Um, his team is still in the playoff race, so that could you know impact some visits moving forward with, with you know along with some other guys in the state of Florida. Um, but but I think FSU sits in a really good spot to keep his pledge at this moment. It's good to hear that concerno meter that was pegging on Friday has reduced drastically here on Monday. All right, so I think we're good on talking recruiting in Syracuse for this weekend. So we're going to take a real quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what's ahead for FSU football, and we'll dive a little bit back more into recruiting big picture-wise about a month before early signing day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, so we're back now. So what remains for FSU football? They host Louisiana on Saturday at noon, 9.30 a.m., Legacy Walk for those who are coming to town for it. And then they wrap up following Friday with Florida coming to town, and we all knew that. That's been on the schedule forever. Primetime game, Black Friday, let's do this thing. FSU looking to close out the season with nine wins. FSU sits at 7-3, and three, having wrapped up their ACC portion of the schedule, going 5-3 and three against conference opponents the best mark for FSU against conference opponents since 2016. FSU now has a chance to try to finish the regular season at nine and three, which would be the best mark for this program since 2016 when they won 10 games after winning their bowl game. So Louisiana on Saturday and then Florida on the following Friday. Looking at those two, what are your expectations for it as far as record wise, two and oh, one and one doomsday effect. Um, and just what are kind of your thoughts about those two games and where FSU is right now as a program, as a team, versus what those two present based on what you know about them at this point. We'll go ahead and start with Dane because he's the man that loves to do those previews with the Master of Ceremonies, Trey Rowland. And uh, have you dived in yet on Louisiana, Dane? No, not really. But I do know that they're kind of a – I think they've more so underperformed – and, yeah, uh, their season expectation did in the you, Sun Belt. Did you watch them this past week? I believe it was Georgia Southern that they yeah, played. Did you get a chance to watch that? I saw about the second half of it. Yeah. So I've you know I've watched Louisiana a little bit here and there this year. I've kept up with them as I've kept up with all the opponents throughout the year. I find their quarterback play to be so unpredictable. Some games he's very effective. They've actually at one point this year they were very much utilizing a two quarterback system. They've now gone to a one quarterback system. Their quarterback play has been very up and down. They do have some capability of being a vertical threat as a team. Their top receiver is actually a kid that, like, I don't know what class he is, but if he ends up a portal receiver, I think he's going to be a very popular one. Very talented kid, 39-ish catches, about 700 yards, closing in on 700 yards, half a dozen touchdowns. Like, he's capable of being that dude. Um but yeah, they just they've kind of been such an up and down club that they're they're not what they were under Billy Napier, where they became very consistent and consistently found a way to win games. This year they've been kind of some games they look like they can beat anybody in the world, and some games they look like anybody in the world can beat them. So that's what I know. Um, I'll go ahead and start with my record prediction. I think FSC is going to go two and zero. I think FSC is going to close out the regular season uh, about as strong as possible. I feel very good about what they're going to do about Louisiana, especially coming off of how they approach the Syracuse game and what they did there. Um, I just feel like they have a businessman approach at this point. And with Florida, the main concern with Florida is the ability to run RPO at a very high level. But I think if FSU is capable of jumping on them early and FSU has generally started games pretty well this year, uh, you you might be able to kind of reduce Florida's ability to be a run-happy team. You might force them to be a bit more of a passing team. I think that plays to a weakness of the Gators. So uh, I'm going to go with 2-0. Very confident in this coming weekend. 
not as confident in Florida game, but I do think FSU at this point is the better of those two teams. So that's where I sit on it. What about you, Zach? Yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, I don't expect FSU to have a letdown, especially after what they did to, to Syracuse coming off the rivalry win against Miami. Um, I think they go in and handle business. Um, obviously, a sleepy noon start um, for them this weekend on Saturday against Louisiana. Uh, but I think FSU handles business pretty easily in that game. And then the UF game, I think, is very interesting. I like how this is Billy Napier's old team and, and new team. Um, FSU gets to play both. Um, but yeah, UF is... You have some impressive on offense, man. Um, the, you know, Anthony Richardson's a threat. I don't think he's this, you know, all world quarterback like some people build in week one. Um, but he's really, you know, a threat, especially with his legs. Um, FSU, you know, at times fails to, to, to contain guys like that. We saw with Malik Cunningham in, you know, again, or in the Louisville game, kind of got open and, and made some plays in the open field. I think Anthony, Anthony Richardson's kind of even more of a threat than Malik in some aspects, especially with how physical he is. So um, I think that'll be an interesting game. We'll obviously dive into that more during that week. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm with Chris, I think they go two and zero, but I think that UF game is going to be a lot closer than maybe some expected uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is how UF's improved over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And I, I agree think with your points. Sorry, Dane, didn't mean to cut you off there. I was going to say, I was going to lay up. Um, I agree with you, Zach, on your points about Richardson. I, I think the thing that I think FSU can do is with how much the offense is humming, how much it's a buzzsaw right now. I feel like they can take advantage of Florida's defense. Florida's defense at times struggles to be a very effective tackling defense. I'm sure it'll get up for FSU, and it'll be a very physical game. That's sort of what comes with rivalry games most times unless a team quits. Hi, Miami. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that. But, Dane, what are your thoughts on the two? I was just going to say, I think they go 2-0. I think they should go 2-0. Um, I wanted to ask what like percentage chance y'all would give to go 2-0. Um, but speaking on like each team, again, uh, Louisiana is, is more so underperforming than – or underperforming the expectation they had within the Sun Belt, and they were really expected to be a team that FSU should be in the first place. I mean, they're 24-point favorites, so I don't want to – spend too much time on that and then florida yeah like you said that's a pretty porous defense i guess it's, doesn't seem like a super cohesive unit a lot of the time and um and fsu's defense is looking much more so like one and then offensively i think florida's far more one-dimensional than florida state is even though they have been like really effective on the ground especially but what percent chance would y'all give to go to an uh 70 and rising yeah i'll go 60 um i'm interested to see you know i think uf what they have vanderbilt they're at vanderbilt i'm interested to see how they perform they obviously had a really good showing against south carolina south carolina's offense is pretty putrid to watch um so i'm not really that impressed by the the uf defense in that game although they did you know create some turnovers uh, but I think that's the stories of the FSU-UF game is how well can UF's defense stop FSU's offense that has just been humming for, um, you know, just about a month here. Just the efficiency is at another level. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, I think I give it a 60% chance. I think it's, a you know, close to 100% chance you win this weekend. And then I would say, um, you know, I'd probably give them a 60 to 70% chance of winning the UF game right now. I think I agree with that entirely. Yeah, I'd say like 60, 65 to one out. I think it's basically 100%. Yeah, Chris is smiling. I should have answered first. You know, I, now I'm it looks taking, like I'm taking the I'm, middle number. We're going with 65. You took it's like Price is right, buddy. I'm proud of you. But yeah, I good, to around that. <laughs> I, uh, Vanderbilt going for two straight SEC wins this weekend, by the way. Just keep that in mind. After breaking the streak. Yeah. yeah. It, they're only Florida's only like minus 14 and a half in that game. It's a pretty tight spread for a Vanderbilt SEC game. Yeah, Florida's defense is kind of, I guess, Jekyll and Hyde at times. Obviously, turnovers are such a key component to any game you play. You just can't commit them. If you give too many away, you're probably going to dig yourself a hole, um, which is some of what Florida has done at times well. But they've also at times not really shown a whole lot of interest in tackling. Uh, Texas AM first half, for example, is an example of that where they just didn't really show up and look like they wanted to do it. So, all right. So no matter how FSU plays these next two games, they're going bowling. 
where do you want them to go bowling? I, I know my answer. It's been very clear to me for a while, and I think they've elevated themselves, especially if they win these last two, to the point where they probably have a great chance of landing in that bowl. But where do you want to see FSU play that 13th game of this season? Dane, go ahead. You go first this time. I think Zach was raising his hand. He was really hoping to get the uh, right, first Dane, jump. Let's go. Get it over with. Come on. Uh, I I don't I, do you guys do you guys have like a specific bowl in mind? I, I don't do. know how we're supposed to approach this. Okay, I do. Yeah, well, I have a I have a very specific bowl. Come on, Dave. Okay, I'm the underprepared. That's fine. Um, I just I just hope they Dane. play a team that people respect and that a lot of people may expect to beat us or to beat Florida State because I think Florida State's capable of more than so most you people want, think you want nationally. Is what you're saying? I wouldn't. I honestly would not mind that. I I don't. I think that would be fine. I think Florida State's capable of being at this Alabama team, yeah. Dane, just say Whoa. it. We want Bama. Just say it. We want Bama, baby. Clip it. Post it. <laughs> I want the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um, I want to see Mike Norvell get absolutely smothered in Mayo. Um, do they still do that? Or is that <laughs> yeah, they do. I, I believe so. I think they've done that two years ago. I think they're actually having, hiring Mayo dumping interns currently. Let's go. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I, First would know. Yeah, I want to see Florida State go to that game, and I don't know – I kind of agree with Dane. Like, I, I want it like a an opponent that's maybe like on the rise instead of like a, an opponent that's like maybe falling down towards the end of the year. Um, and and, and have a good matchup. Um, some somewhere out of conference that's just uh you know impressive team that w- we'd want to watch. So, yeah, I, I think Duke's Mayo Bowl would be really fun and especially fun, um, to just cover cover that one. Um, I think it'd be awesome. What about you, Chris? So the, the Mayo Bowl is usually a Big Ten matchup, I believe, is how the affiliations work now. For uh, we want Bama to happen for our boy Dane over here. That would probably have to be something like the Rely Quest Bowl. I believe they can do SEC or Big Ten along with ACC and then Gator Bowl. Um, personally, I'd love to see FSU in the Gator Bowl. I would like to see FSU against an SEC opponent. I'm just here for it. Gator Bowl is cool. It's local. Um, they love FSU. They treat FSU very well. It's been a while since we've been over there. I believe Bowden's last game is the last time we played in the Gator Bowl. Um, and of course now it's called the tax layer bowl, but whatever, it's a Gator bowl. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see FSU against a good SEC opponent and just kind of see him wrap up the season in a stellar fashion. I, I don't want to see FSU get sent far away. I, I think Gator bowl or cheese at bowl make the most sense. They're both in-state games for FSU. Uh, both of those bowl games have had reps consistently at FSU games this year, especially cheese at bowl. I think they've been around the most of anybody. Um, but yeah, I'd like to see FSU wrap it up in Jacksonville. I think the Gator Bowl is still, uh, I think it's New Year's Eve. I think it's the 31st. So, you know, me and Dan could both be living our best life and have FSU in the Gator Bowl or Tax Layer Bowl, and Dane could get his We Want Bama accomplished. So we're good here. But yeah, I mean, FSU's put themselves in a position where I think they're a pretty appealing ball team, and you could put them against a good opponent. Obviously, the storylines sell themselves. We're box office boys for a reason. Um, so yeah, I'm here for it. Anything else about the bowl games you want to mention? I, I don't think there's anyone outside of the playoff or like the BCS bowls that, um, that FSU isn't like very capable of beating. So I think that's worth noting. Just, it could be, it could be anyone if they're not in the BCS bowl or the playoff, then they're going to be a team that probably FSU's favored over, honestly. Um, so that'll be, that'll be fun. But I think definitely a big brand would be best to take down. The one concern in ball games now is just guys opting out of not playing. Yeah, right. It can change it quickly. And FSU is still a team that, despite playing really good ball lately and being good, their depth at some positions still just isn't good enough to make up for a certain level of NFL caliber prospects sitting it out. I don't know if there's anybody on this team I would definitively say would do that, but you know it's business decisions and they're allowed to make them. So, all right, I think that's good on the ball talk and wrapping up the regular season. So, last thing on the agenda. We are roughly, I guess, 32 days out from the final visit weekend of December 16th with the early signing period right after that. So it is crunch time for recruiting because a vast majority of blue chip level players and recruits will come off the board here in the next month. FSU's obviously got a pretty well-stocked class already, but we expect them to finish with a few more guys from the high school slash JUCO ranks. And then again, we expect them to be a transfer-heavy team where they go and they probably do some work there. So first things first, Zach, numbers where do you think fsu ends up as far as total guys are taking in the split of high school slash juco versus transfer 
Yeah, so I think for high school slash JUCO, you probably see around 20 um, in that, you know, portion of the class. Um, and then when you when you head over to the, you know, what they're trying to do in the transfer portal, I think you could see up to 10. Um, I, I would probably guess six to eight um, right now. Um, but depending on, you know, who departs the program, obviously, they're, you know, like every season we expect attrition, um, you know, depending on that, they could add more or less. Um, but that, that'll be interesting. But FSU really wants to put a premium on the portal like they do, like we've seen them do every offseason under Mike Norvell. Um, and I think the season's no different. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting. Um, I think with the, with the, you know, the portal is obviously different this year with, with everything having to be within that. I believe it's a 15 day window um, uh, in December. Um, you know, guys have to enter the portal and then make a decision. There's a lot of confusion right now among college coaches on a, a you know, variety of topics related to the transfer portal. I, I don't think some of them have even really been reported. One of them that I've, I've you know, become aware of is, I, you know, I think there's some confusion as to when you can bring transfers in for visits. I believe there's some uh, guideline or something that was set saying that you could only bring transfers in the first week of January. I don't know if that's valid or not, um, but that is something that college coaches are still a little bit confused on based on what, from what I've been told. Um, so that'll be interesting. I think, I think it could get messy. Um, I think a lot of, you know, we, we saw last off season was crazy, but you know, last off season NIL wasn't really, you know, in full effect. NIL is almost nearly in full effect at every big institution now. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of crazy portaling going on. Um, a lot of kids, you know, probably getting tampered with on, on rosters across the country to enter the portal and they're going to see a lot of bags being thrown uh, through the NIL game. Um, it's, it's going to be wild. Um, and I think that's going to be kind of the storyline of that month. But you can't forget about high school recruiting. I think that's going to be crazy as well with with a lot of these big classes trying to, to finish strong. Uh, a lot of you know big names still on the board. And I think there's going to be a lot of flips this year. Um, I think I saw some stat. I believe it was uh, Andrew Ivins posted that there's over 80% of the top 247 that's already committed to a school. Um, and we're, you know, a month away uh, from signing day um, or just about like, that's pretty crazy that I, I think, you know, there were a lot of flips last cycle, you know, as, as Florida state knows. Um, but I think this, this year could get even more crazy with just, you know, the influx of NIL with transfers. I think, I think we're, we're in for a crazy, you know, end of November and into December. With yeah, I think the last, the last couple of years, I think it's been about 85% plus blue chip prospects have been signed in the early period. So that, that number just, it, it goes off the board so quickly. Uh, quickly on the transfer portal, the window opens, I believe it's December 5th. I think it's a day after the championship game weekend, SEC, ACC, Big Ten, those championship games. So it opens then. It's essentially a 45-day window of being open till mid-January, January 18th. I think it's the closing date. Uh, I'm not sure on the visit dates. That's something I'm going to dive into here soon with that becoming a hot topic for us. I agree with you on the numbers. I think FSU ends up pushing around 30 total um, at the max. I think, you know, about 20 high school slash JUCO and then about another 8 to 10 from the portal ranks. That number obviously will fluctuate a little bit depending on decisions to depart versus come back for guys that have pro potential. Also, it also depends a little bit upon how many guys actually do just depart the roster. You know, I did a red shirt report yesterday after the game. I think there's a handful of guys you can look at that list and feel pretty confident to probably hit the portal after the season, uh, opening up some spots for FSU beyond the normal departures that you have because of eligibility being exhausted or guys making early NFL decision. So, Touching on the portal a bit more, I'm going to throw this one to Dane. What position is most important for FSU in the portal? And after Dane answers, if you want to chime in, Zach, have at it. Uh, I think it's defensive back. I think your defensive back play has probably been the weakest play on the team, or your cornerback play at least. Um, it's a position you need a lot of depth. Uh, safety and cornerback, you need a lot of depth there for everyone, and I don't think you really have that right now, and you especially won't have that after the departure of Jamie Robinson. Um, and, and potentially Akeem Dent too, right? Um, but Renardo Green, uh, you like what you have there, corner, and then elsewhere, outside of him, 
There's AZ Thomas, who has a lot of potential, but still young. And I, I think you just need a lot of capable bodies there. And I don't know. I don't think you're where you want to be if you're Florida State. Like a winning Florida State football team should not be even questioning whether they have a, a good defensive backfield or not. And, you you know, that's the weakest unit on defense right now. So that's yeah. where I would go. I'll say just because of, you know, what is going to lead this offseason, you know, with Fabo probably leaving – um, and then Robert Cooper, um, I think he runs out of eligibility this offseason, correct, Chris? Yes. Yeah, so I think D-tackle might be a, a spot you want to put a huge priority on in the portal, um, you know, getting an instant impact kind of guy. I like the depth you have in that room, though, right? Like, you you have uh, Jared Jackson that could come back. You have Josh Farmer. Um, Daniel Lyons is a really promising true freshman. And then you have Iobami. Yeah, Malcolm Ray. You have Ayabami Tafasi, who's going to, or Tafasi, I think it's Tafasi. He's going to come, uh, or he's going to be eligible next season to play. Obviously, this this year he couldn't um, because he was getting everything situated um, after coming in kind of late um, to FSU. But he's been promising uh, to watch and practice. So, you know, I like what you have uh, out of the youngsters in that group. But I think getting kind of a bona fide starter, star kind of guy uh, to replace, you know, maybe Fabo or, or Rob Coop. Uh, would, would be really beneficial for the defense next season. I'm going to go with quarterback. Um, Whoa. Especially, obviously, if Jordan Travis leaves, which I think at this point is a you know question to be determined uh, as far as an answer for that. Uh, FSU would like to add a high school quarterback. You know, Brock Glenn's name we've mentioned. Uh, Emery, who's committed to Miami, is not a young man that they've kind of kept warm with, and they did offer here within the season, as our sites have reported on the network. You know, so they have that opportunity, that chance, but I'm not convinced they land a high school quarterback, and I don't think they should reach for a high school quarterback. I think the fact that the offense has become what it's become, impressive, high-flying, capable of doing a lot of different things, utilizing quarterbacks in a variety of ways. I mean, if you think about the things Jordan Travis has done in games this year, he's had games where he's been a very big vertical threat. He had the game against Syracuse where he didn't really go vertical at all, but yet he was super efficient. He's had games where he's used his legs some. He's done a whole lot of different things. So I don't really feel like that position here has been pigeonholed into being one type of thing. I think it's been shown that Mike Norvell is going to utilize a quarterback in a variety of ways. That's appealing to a kid on the transfer market who's looking to capitalize possibly in his final year. So I think that's an interesting position for FSU. I never love carrying only three. I'm not convinced that Tate or AJ is the guy that you can turn it over to and feel great about. So I would go with quarterback as my position. I think O-line's another spot where they just continue to add bodies. I think there'll be a little bit of an exchange program at offensive line this offseason in the sense of a couple guys that aren't factoring into it, potentially departing the program because that's just what you need to do at this point in your career. And then adding a couple guys who at least help you on the two deep, you know, types that are like the jazzes of the world who if you have to play them, you can play them, but if you need them, they're capable of playing. And that's an important thing. I think as FSU continues to turn that thing around and they have some young guys, I think they feel great about, you know, Jalen early, Julian Armella, Kanai Shelton's a guy who I think they feel good about long-term Bryce and Estes falls into that category too. There's some others, but I think adding kind of a middle layer in there of reliability, safety net guys is probably going to be something they look to do in the portal this go around. And I agree with both of you on the defensive takes, you know, I think safety, I think Shaheen Brown's the next guy up, but you probably could use another body beside him. And D-tackle is a spot where you have capable depth and good players. But if you can get a high-level, top-tier type of D-tackle, then, yeah, go and do it. Because guys who wreak havoc at the point of attack are extremely important. It changes the whole dynamics of your defense. So I do agree with you guys on that. Um, you know, I, I, I think Portal is going to be an area where FSU is going to be able to be a real factor. I, I think the fact that they've had so much success with Portal guys – now over multiple years, and the fact that Portal guys speak so highly of this program consistently. You know, Jared Verse had a piece on ACC Huddle this past weekend where he spoke about it. I think those kind of things are great selling points. You know, Verse goes to the league and Jermaine Johnson's already there. Then, yeah, hey, this place is good for me. It's the kind of place where I can go excel and go do what I want to do. Because for remember, for high school kids, it's usually chasing the dream, or in this case with NIL, sometimes chasing the bag. With portal kids, it's much more usually about where can I go to accomplish what I want to accomplish and go do the next thing I want to do. I think FSU has become a pretty appealing place in that regard. Agree. 
so recruiting-wise, big visit weekends. Uh, we expect them to have some kids in for Florida, but with it being a Friday game, that complicates it some, especially for high schoolers that are still involved in the playoff race. Uh, obviously, it's going to be pretty difficult for some of those guys to come here on a Friday if they're playing on a Friday. So that weekend will be big, but not as big as one may think because it being Florida. Uh, the biggest weekend for FSU is probably going to be December 16th. That is the last visit weekend. A good bit of the commitment to haven't yet been here for officials, I expect back in. I'm sure they'll try to get some of the other guys who have already been here for officials to come back in on unofficials, turn it into a whole thing, a big weekend. How much of a surprise factor, both from an FSU perspective and nationally, do we expect in the high school recruiting ranks over the next four to five weeks in the sense of guys showing up on campuses that we didn't expect them to show up on and flips that seemingly come out of nowhere, especially because NIL has become such a big factor at the top of the recruiting food chain. Zach, I'll throw that to you because that's kind of your bread and butter. Yeah, I, I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I think it's going to be probably one of the craziest finishes we've ever seen um, nationally. Not talking just about FSU, um, just a lot of flips. Um, and I think, like Chris said, I think they're going to come out of nowhere because um, you have to think, right? So, you know, obviously none of these collectives are allowed to uh, do anything, but, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, the Jaden Rashada stuff with Miami and Florida, the quarterback that flipped um, from Miami to Florida this past week. Um, it's been widely reported. That's a, that's a huge, you know, NIL is involved in that decision. Um, I think, you know, when, when these guys are dealing with uh, these collectives, they can kind of evade, uh, you know, speaking and communicating with coaches sometimes. And I think that's going to cause for some uh, crazy flip action to happen without, you know, maybe some people just not having any clue that, that that's going to happen. Obviously that stuff would happen um, in past years, but I think it could get even more crazy this year relating to Florida state. You know, obviously, you know, if there's any unexpected stuff, I'm not going to come here and try to predict what's going to happen. Obviously, we know that Lucas Simmons is at UF over the weekend. Um, I think things stand good there. Um, Keldrick Falk is another guy I want to know. He was at Auburn over the weekend. And he's a guy that, you know, could, uh, you know, if, if Auburn hires a, a, a nice head coach to come in, I think they could be a little dangerous on the recruiting trail down the stretch. And I'm not saying that, you know, Keldrick Falk's going to flip or anything. But Auburn has a really uh, solid NIL backing right now. Um, and, and with a good head coach, they could uh, possibly finish strong in the 23 class. Uh, but I think that obviously impacts the 24 class uh, more so um, if they bring someone good in. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch. Um, as far as, you know, other guys, you know, I'd like I'd like to see FSU uh, get some more, you know, traction with, you know, maybe Brock Glenn, try to get him on campus um, and maybe Emory Williams as well. Um, but I do expect, uh, you know, I know of some guys uh, that, that are expected to visit FSU um, that I haven't reported yet, uh, maybe committed to some other schools. Um, so definitely expect some of that down the stretch. Um, it'll, it'll be a fun month uh, to, to follow uh, college football recruiting. Some of the guys that we're keeping tabs on from the high school perspective, Cedric Baxter, of course, FSU trying to flip him away from Texas. We saw a great deal of movement there for FSU in October. I think they've laid the groundwork they continue to show they can run the damn ball five straight games at 200 plus first time since 1995 i believe fsc's done that so yeah they're putting on full display but that's one they're going to have to compete to the end there is to a degree an nil factor in that one that also you just have to meet if you want to be in it ruben bain edwin joseph two south florida guys that we like a lot fsc's working to get them up december officials it's the hope and the plans again playoffs could factor into the ability for those guys to take trips uh, Damari Brown's a name that I'll throw out there. You know, if you asked me three weeks ago about Damari Brown, I would have told you, no, nah, I don't think it's FSU. I think it's probably Miami. And if it's going to get stolen away, it's Bama. Bama's got a little bit of a pecking order thing going on at DB and Brown factors into that. I just don't know exactly where he falls. It would be interesting because they've already had several kids commit to them at defensive back. And then with Miami, obviously they've kind of, you know, they've faltered to a degree during the year. And I think Damari's, well, he has legacy ties there and a great deal of love for that place. I think he's also a smart kid that's taking notice of that. So I think FSU's a bit in that discussion. I'm not sitting here trying to predict him to FSU, though. Um, I just think it's worth watching more than I thought it was a few weeks back. I guess it's the best way for me to express that. And I got to bring him up because I love the kid, Chris Otto. Uh, I expect FSU to get him in for a December official. He's an offensive lineman, can play four to five spots on that line. Everything outside left tackle, I think he can line up and do. Uh, really smart, real physical, wrestler. I just, I'm a fan. He's one of those guys I do actually really hope ends up in FSU's class. 
I just think he's got a bright future. And then we've seen him kick the Juco tires a bit here lately. You know, Elijah Phillip, he's an offensive lineman they've been involved with for some time. He's supposed to come in in December. Recently, he got involved with an old name, new name, Derek Hunter, former FSU commitment. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Zach, but I believe he once was a commitment way back when. Uh, They've gotten involved there. You know, we've seen him offer like Keyshawn Blackstock, for example, from the Juco ranks. Uh, a couple others, Will Lee's a defensive back. Eric Taylor's a guy they recently offered from the Juco ranks. So they're scouring everywhere. They're turning over every rock. They're looking for high schoolers. They're looking for Juco's. They're looking for transfers. I think the thing for FSU over the next month is prioritizing, figuring out does it make the most sense for us to take quarterback, for example, this high school kid versus a potential transfer kid versus do we truly have to take a kid if Jordan Travis is coming out? That, that's some of those questions that I think they're going to be having in those meetings over the next five weeks or so to kind of figure out their future at positions. I think there's other positions where it's clear cut. They want guys, uh, you know, defensive tackle is probably one of those, but I think they're, they're almost waiting to see it, They're offering some kids from the Juco ranks who are capable of being defensive tackles, but they're, they're going to slow play some of that, see who hits the portal and they have a shot with it. So just kind of trying to lay, lay the groundwork for how, I think FSU operates here over the final month or so. I think uh, some things are going to happen really quickly. Other things are going to demand patience. And some things people are going to feel like, oh, why is FSU not doing this? I think there's probably a reason for it that they're essentially waiting for what they believe might come next. So just kind of putting that out there. But I think FSU, I don't think the class ranking changes drastically, but I do think they finish with a well-rounded class that's going to continue to help them take the next step which is going from being potentially a nine or ten win team if they went out here this year to one that is then again competing for ACC and I think that's what's next for FSU and I think it's fair to be optimistic that they're trending in that direction pretty consistently as a program anything to add guys uh just quickly on JUCOs um I think a lot of those names are you know that I think they could add some guys in December through the JUCO ranks um, but I know a few, like Eric Taylor's a Juco D tackle that they offered, like you mentioned, Chris. Um, he's a he's a some or a spring grad or May. summer grad. He's a May. Yeah. I think he's so a May grad. Yeah. yeah. So he'll he won't be a, a guy they try and add like you know within the next couple months. If they if they want to get him, he'll be more of like a backup option if they need more depth at D tackle later on. Um, you know, after spring. So, um, I you know I wouldn't expect them to put like a crazy premium on Juco. But I think they're kind of building up some of their boards, especially at DB and D-tackle, to kind of um, just have that backup option and valve to, to turn to if things – if they don't, you know, get who they want um, in the portal when things open up. Yeah, that's a good point. Reggie Akles is another name that I can mention there. He's a defensive back. He actually could play on either side of the ball, but I think FSU likes him the most as a defensive back. He had previously told me he's coming in for December official. Uh, I think that will only happen if he's graduating at that time, which as of right now, it doesn't sound like he's going to. It sounds like he's probably going to be more of a May possibility. So he's one that if that's the case, I don't think FSU brings him in December. I think they played longer game with him versus maybe like a Will Lee. If Will Lee is going to graduate in December, I think there's a possibility FSU brings him in here, you know, whether it's the end of this month or the beginning of next month. So, yeah, that that's definitely something we're keeping an eye on. Dane, you good? I am good. All right, boys. Well, we got a busy Monday ahead of us, so I'm going to let us get on out of here, send this over to Sinone so he can edit because he had to come in, torpedo it in the middle. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. If you haven't ever rated us five stars before, please go ahead and do that. Uh, even if you only felt like we were a four-star today, lie and believe that we have some you know, potential down the line to be five stars. We appreciate it. Have a good day. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. 
It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.